Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. One of the problems I think that customer insights teams have today is if I'm totally honest, I think they're treated like sort of second-class citizens. It's not a really powerful group. And part of that, I think, is because the interpretation that they are putting on things is not necessarily agreed by everybody in the organization. I get frustrated when I listen to people talk about AI and treat it as if it's magic, as if you've got this AI pixie dust that you can sprinkle over whatever your problem is. Isn't that something about stuff in animals? Isn't it? Uh, yes, that's she's uh, very big into stuff. I don't know why we're talking about stuff in animals. Alligator. <laughs> that's taxidermy, which is a different. Oh, word. okay. Sorry, mate. I got the wrong word. Ryan, I had really interesting conversation the other day with some customer insights teams. Okay. And you know I'm obsessed by AI at the moment. Yes. As the rest of the world seems to be. As my students certainly are when it comes time for them to write essays. Um. <laughs> and you find that out, don't you? Yes. You make sure that you don't I, let them but do that. Scarily, I find it out because they're better organized essays when they come out of chat GPT than they are when they're written by <laughs> undergraduate students. Like nobody writes a five paragraph essay that you learned about in high school, like uh, chat yeah. GPT. Yeah. yeah. Can you write me an essay? Yeah, sure. Here it is. <laughs> you know, five minutes later, whereas it normally they would have left it to the last moment. But I was, I was in the client and I was chatting to the customer insights teams and we were just chatting generally over lunch we were chatting about AI and the effect upon customer insights teams, market research teams, etc. I went off and I, I started to sort of look into it because I was a bit, I have to say, I was a bit concerned that they didn't really understand the effect that AI was going to have on them. Okay. And I didn't want to be too rude by saying, you don't know what you're talking about. I went off and, and did some research and I found a really interesting report that was written by Qualtrics. Not sure of the date, but it's entitled, and we'll put a link in the show notes, it's entitled How AI Will Reinvent the Market Research Industry. I started to read some stats, and I want to I share some stats with you to start off with, because I think it's a sort of setting the scene for what we're going to be talking about on this show, which is effectively, for me, it made me start to think about where is the future of market research? If I was in market research, customer insights, what would I be doing now? What would I be thinking? How would I be positioning myself? Okay. So let me read you some of these stats because I found them, some of these quite amazing. Eighty-three percent of researchers see AI as an industry opportunity and seven percent see it as a threat. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't know what they see as a threat or as an opportunity, but I'm taking that and putting that in sort of their uh, the context of their jobs. I'm not sure either. Like, 
is it a threat to them personally? Is it a threat to jobs yeah. in the industry? Is it a threat to the industry as a whole? Listen, I mean, like, like there's there's a lot of ways one could interpret that question. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Let me give you a few more stats. 26% say AI will create more market research jobs than, than they are today. And 35% believe it will reduce the overall number. 39% don't believe it will change the overall job market. Now, I'm starting to read these and go, these people can't see a wave coming. There's sort of tsunamis just about to hit and they're not seeing it. It's like kind of a, a third, a third, a third on that question, roughly, right? So a third see more jobs, a third see fewer jobs, and a third see. I'll defend the uncertainty here. For a lot of technology changes, if we look back over time, technology rolls like a wave through a lot of industries. And then after it shakes out, some industries go away, all the jobs are destroyed, other industries really boom, there ends up being more people employed in those industries, and then other industries are unaffected by it. That is a very good point. I guess the way I'm interpreting it is doing the job as it's currently being done. Okay. If, if they are interpreting that question in that way and answering nothing's going to change, I agree with you. That, that seems a little head in the sand. That seems to lack yeah. imagination. Yeah. So do I agree that AI is going to change lots of things? Clearly. Do I agree that whilst there's loads of panic around, well, what does that mean we do? Then clearly you're going to need people to manage it and it's a different types of jobs. But I think their role is going to change substantially. Yes. Yes. I think overall for me, the issue becomes that it will be very different and there will be less jobs. And I'm trying to be careful with my words now, less jobs doing exactly what they're doing now. Okay. That seems unavoidable. Like there will be fewer of the specific job types that exist now. Yes. Based on history, the prediction would be that there will be more of other types of jobs. I'm also sensitive to the argument that no, AI is a qualitatively different type of technology where there may be a net reduction in all jobs afterwards. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to look at this as more as uh, what the opportunity is, okay? And therefore, how do people treat this? And we had a really interesting video submitted to us. So this is, again, just to uh, remind people, we have this thing called None of Us Are As Clever As All Of Us, and we've extended that now to ask people to make contributions to the show, to give us their view, their disagree with us, uh, new reports or anything else that they've got. So this video has been submitted to us by Alion Medliana. She's the CEO of a company called Thematics, uh, and she's in actually in Auckland in New Zealand. Only goes to show how far this podcast stretches. In fact, only the other day I was looking at the stats. There are literally only six countries in the world where people have not listened to these podcasts. And one of those, I guess it must be North Korea. I can't remember. But maybe we should do a show from North Korea one day. I don't know. <laughs> Our last anyway. show will be broadcast <laughs> from North Korea. Yes. Let's roll the video from Aliana and she can tell us her view of where she thinks the whole area of customer insights and that is going. 
Hi there, my name is Aliona Medellian and I'm one of the co-founders and the CEO of Thematic. We analyze customer feedback to help companies improve their products and services. And today I'll talk about the role of customer insights and how it changes in the age of artificial intelligence and specifically generative AI. So right now in customer experience team, the voice of customer is typically handled through CX platforms like Qualtrix or Medallia. They summarize high-level metrics and categories in dashboards and people can read verbatims. And while this data is accessible in real time, it doesn't capture trends well and it doesn't provide in-depth understanding of customer needs. And this is where customer insights and teams come in. They still have to do a lot of manual analysis to counteract the, the shortcomings of the systems. And they split their time between creating and maintaining complex taxonomies that understand and capture the data. They prepare monthly reports and they answer ad hoc questions from the business. And with the AI, each of these tasks is changing and evolving. If we look at it in more detail, when it comes to creating and maintaining taxonomies, AI can actually discover a taxonomy of themes automatically from the data. And it can also suggest you themes to add into your taxonomy as more customer feedback is added. So this is where customer insights today spend a lot of time with the vendors. They can do this job much more efficiently using AI. Instead of coming up with things to include in the analysis, they can review AI suggestions. They'll still be much better than any AI algorithm at understanding the context of the business and how the data should be analyzed and summarized. The second task uh, was preparing monthly reports. And this is where AI today can summarize what's new, what's working, what's not working much more efficiently. For example, it can actually create a written summary of key differences and that you can simply copy and paste into your report. So something that Customer Insights Professional used to write manually. We launched some of these features in Thematic and constantly getting feedback of how much time we're saving Customer Insights teams. Answering ad hoc questions from the business, the third task. Here, there are two schools of thoughts. On the one hand, customer, some believe that Customer Insights should hold this role and control what insights are fed into the rest of the business and in what form, because otherwise people are not data savvy enough and they might find inaccuracy and dismiss the trends in the data. But on the other hand, if anyone can access to the data anytime to get the answers they need from the data, that means that customer insights team is not a bottleneck and the whole company can make better customer, more customer-centric decisions. And luckily, the reason why there wasn't as much democratization of insights is because of the tools weren't mature enough. But now we're seeing that a clear trend that more and more companies embrace the democratization of insights. And people expect that. They can ask any questions, chat GPT. So they expect being able to ask questions about customer feedback as well. What did people like or dislike about parking? Or what do they like about website navigation, what can we improve? To very complex questions like, we launched a new tool X, how was it received? What are the top three feature requests that people are asking for? And the great thing about um, AI is that already today is able to answer these complex questions. It adds additional dimensions to the data. 
that traditional taxonomies don't. And it can summarize and write the actual answers as well. So no dashboards are complex analytical tools needed. And imagine if you can ask any question about your customer feedback directly from your Microsoft Teams or your Slack and interact with the AI that has the knowledge of customer feedback in the same way as you would with your customer insights team um, colleague. So ultimately, the role of customer insights professional is changing. AI helps them save a ton of time. It helps them refocus their time on socializing the insights and being proactive about finding things that the business could improve based on deeper insights that they can find faster in the data. So I don't know about you, Ryan, but I thought Aliona really had some really good points. I would put it stronger than that. I've I've listened to a lot of people talk about AI over the last year, and that was one of the m- most intelligent, coherent, kind of pithy, insightful analyses I've heard. I, I thought she raised a, a lot of really, really strong points and didn't overstate things in the way that I sometimes hear from people in AI. So it was great. Thank you, Eliana. That was fantastic. That's one of the advantages of going, it needs to be done in five minutes. So you actually don't waffle like I tend to do. So well Yeah, done. speaking of which, Colin, um, I got a note for you. <laughs> um. <laughs> there were a few things. I'm sure you want to mention a few things, but I think the few things that I would pick out from what she was saying. One of the things I get surprised at is how people don't look at trends. Mm. I'm a great believer in looking at a trend rather than just what the snapshot of the data is telling us today and comparing it with last quarter. And and I'm really, I get very frustrated, as she was saying, they don't look at trends very well. And when I start to think about one of the problems I think that customer insights teams have today is if I'm totally honest, I think they're treated like sort of second-class citizens. It's not a really powerful group. And part of that, I think, is because the interpretation that they are putting on things is not necessarily agreed by everybody in the organization. And I think that the advantage of giving people access to AI, et cetera, is it sort of takes away from that, doesn't it? In other words, it's not necessarily the total interpretation is not necessarily left to an individual who you could then, it's a bit like politics. When you're watching CNN or Fox News, I always have to sit there and go, okay, so this is coming from the left, this is coming from the right, and therefore I have to take these comments in it. You know, I'm, I'm sure that there are people in the organization go, oh, yeah, but that person who's putting that interpretation on the data believes this, and therefore they've skewed the figures that way. Whether that's true or not, it's a different kettle of fish. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like we have had people on before who talk about AI is not inherently without bias, right? We've had somebody on who, who talked about algorithms and, and AI as being bias written in code. So uh, like we, we do need to be conscious about that. But I, I also agree with you that it's harder to game an AI system, especially if you're not the one building it. Like if this is an off-the-shelf AI, if you're using chat GPT for something, there is a level of honesty from the perspective of, you know, that I'm not skewing the results if it's interpreting these results for us. One theme of, of most of her analysis that I liked, I've expressed this before, that I get frustrated when 
I listen to people talk about AI and treat it as if it's magic, as if you've got this AI wand or this AI pixie dust that you can sprinkle over whatever your problem is. What I liked about her analysis is that it was measured. Um, In other words, it was specific to specific problems. And it really seemed to build on the strengths of AI systems, which are specific. Like we know that AI systems are very good at doing certain things and not good, at least for now, at doing other things. And so this kind of an unbiased analysis is one of the potential strengths of an AI system, you know, as you point out. Uh, another one, she used this word taxonomy, which is a very nice three dollar. Something about stuffing animals, isn't it? Uh, yes, that's she's uh, very I don't big know why into we're talking stuffed about crocodiles stuffing and alligator. <laughs> that's taxidermy, which is a different. Oh, word. okay. Sorry, mate, I got the wrong word. Taxonomy is a very um, fancy, academic sounding word, essentially for creating categories. So. You have like a taxonomy of different animal species, for example, how you divide like a taxonomy of dog species. And, you know, this category is terriers and this category is something else. And her point, as I understood it, is that when you get data in, whether it's qualitative research data or whether it's quantitative data, one of the things that we have to do to understand it is to group the outputs together, group the analysis together into different categories. So we go like, oh, well, th- these are all about, you know, some specific type of, of customer complaint and these are about something else. AI systems are very, very good at categorizing inputs. So you can give it all kinds of unstructured data and it will be able to sift through that and go like, these are the themes. These are the ways that you can group that together that numerically, statistically makes sense. AI systems are, are so much better than we are at that. And so her point about like, let the AI systems do what they do well, and then leave the humans to do what we do well, Yes, I agree. which is kind of put that information in a context and understand kind of strategically what we want and some of those other things. So I, I thought that was a real, real strength. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think Aliona's point around that, I think is really good because the same applies, doesn't it? And we've had this conversation to segmentation. Yeah identifying segments of the market that you don't you didn't know before and you're letting the data speak here is anna talking on the show hi colin and ryan i'm in a pickle how do you operationalize your journey mapping we don't want cx to become some fluffy thing that is not practical enough therefore We want practical steps on how to get started the right way. Thank you. Anna's pickle was wonderful. Would you like to appear on the show just like Anna did? If you want to record your pickle, go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle and look for the big red record button. We'd love to hear from you too. This is where I think it sort of, to a certain extent, takes you to go, well, where's the opportunity? Okay. Well, I think the opportunity is it becomes in that more strategic area of the market insights team taking a much more strategic role. So when you talk about AI as just opinion written in code, which is a phrase I love, it's making sure that it is set up in the right way. It's making sure you're identifying the or looking into the right things. And again, 
what I really liked was the the democratization of the tool or it being used like ChatGBT. So again, that level of interpretation is not built in there. I am asking it questions. It is giving me the answer. And I can't argue with that because I'm I'm effectively arguing with a machine, basically. So it's not that level of interpretation there. So, And again, I think she's totally right. People are getting used to asking questions and having a conversation with the chat GBTs of this world. So being able to to do that and get the answers out, I think is going to be is going to be fascinating. And I have to say, and the reason I started off the show with all the stats, it just seems a million miles away from those stats and where I'm sure some organizations are are thinking down these lines. It seems a million miles away from those stats, basically. Things are, are already changing. I, saw, I can't remember if I've mentioned this on a previous episode of the podcast or not, but I'll, I'll mention it again in case I haven't. Uh, I saw a research presentation from a colleague at uh, Harvard Business School where they used ChatGPT to conduct market research. So they essentially were able to get access to the API, which is kind of like the, the back end of ChatGPT. They would have it batch out answers to market research survey questions. And so each answer would be slightly different because there's a randomness component to it. But if they got out 100 responses or 1,000 responses from ChatGPT about like which of these two computers would you choose, they were able to get a distribution of responses that replicated actual market research studies that were conducted out in the marketplace. They were able to replicate certain cognitive biases, like a, a recency effect and some other you know, loss aversion. So like I should emphasize my understanding, that is not what these systems are designed to do. This was actually a deeply disturbing presentation for me to watch because that is not how ChatGPT was designed to work. But it, it points to the idea that like market research as we know it is going to change in really fundamental, important ways. I don't think in the the authors of this this project were not arguing that ChatGPT could replace market research surveys, but they were arguing that it might be a, like a quick, easy, cheap initial cut to allow you to run more effective, more efficient market research surveys when you do go out and talk to real people. I think that that's kind of the the frontier that we're looking at. Initially, things are not going to be fundamentally different in the the very near future. But they will change in ways that will make things more efficient, faster, in some instances cheaper, and democratize access to data in ways that that we don't currently have. I agree. And again, I go back to it, which I think is that, that there is an opportunity here. And I think the opportunity for me is that at the moment, in my experience, market research, customer insights teams are not well perceived in the main in organizations. Yeah. And I think that there is an opportunity that in the future, this an opportunity for that to grow. Okay. If they're taking a more strategic view, I think you're totally right. Over the next few years, it's going to be things like, as Alionia said, preparing monthly reports, all those things are going to get done. We all know that ChatGPT doesn't give you the best 
answers now, but it, at least it starts you off with some type of framework that you can work within. But you can also see that the way that that's heading. I think if I was in this this industry now, I would be going, okay, so in five years' time, it's actually all going to be about the strategy and how can we use this to create a more customer-centric organization where it's not necessarily seen as just my opinion or what the stats told me, or maybe I put in my own bias even into the way that questions were asked. I mean, again, I was watching one of the political debates the other day, and if I think about some of those things, you know, the, the way that questions are asked can lead the person into those answers. And therefore, it's about how do you move it up a level, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make. It's no longer about the mechanics of it. It's more about the strategy behind it, et cetera, et cetera. So thanks very much, Aliona, for uh, sending that in. If you have an opinion, a thought, if you disagree with us, if you've got new research, if you've got a new report that you want to share with us. We'll put a link in the show notes and we'll also put Aliona's links in the show notes. There's a form that we have that you we ask you to complete to save you a bit of time. Just fill it out. Tell us what you'd like to submit and we'll then start a conversation with you and hopefully you'll we'll get you on the show as well. So thanks very much and we look forward to talking to you next week. Okay, cheers. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.